You're listening to Up to the Mic. If you want to learn about the struggles and triumphs of starting a business, performing for sold-out arenas, or inspiring those you lead, Up to the Mic is the show for you. Throw on some headphones and get ready to listen as our host, Vinny Hale, sits down to showcase the stories of those who deserve their stories be told. From young entrepreneurs to critically acclaimed musicians and so much more, Vinny helps compile a season of interviews that inspire listeners to follow in the footsteps of his guest. Jeremy, thanks so much for being here today. I really appreciate the time. Great to be here, Vinny. Well, I know the listeners are going to be excited for this one because you have a very interesting story to tell, and I think it's going to be one that resonates and is close to home. Maybe tell the listeners a little bit about what you do, and then we'll jump back and we'll kind of talk about who you were before you got to this point in life. Maybe tell them about what you're up to these days. Yeah, sure. So there's a a few aspects to my identity in terms of my work. I'm a, a product manager for an SMS company, and I also am a founder for a startup. And then in terms of my hobbies, I'm into cross-country skiing is my favorite hobby. I like running. I like generally outdoors activities. I'm married. I'm 35 years old. And the other aspect is I've got ADHD and autism. And I'm kind of like going off on a tangent here, but I'm not someone that has ever been skiing. And so for someone that is a cross-country skier, I've only ever heard of cross-country in the terms of running. So cross-country runners and like the track, the sport itself. Um, what is cross-country skiing, if you don't mind me asking? I think cross-country running, but on skis instead. So similar kind of terrain, a lot of uphill. Downhill skiing, it's really the lazy way to ski. You don't earn your downhills. You just have to get on a chairlift and get to enjoy going down. But cross-country skiing, often I'm just wearing a T-shirt because you're exerting so much effort climbing the hills and you sometimes have to fight against the wind. It's really what I like about it. It's very peaceful. I'll go out and there are maybe five other people out there on the whole terrain. It's really beautiful scenery. I feel the way that you do it, it's a bit like rollerblading or ice skating, the action that you do. So you're moving relatively quickly, synchronized movements. I find that really helps me to calm down and feel at one with nature. That's awesome. I actually feel you say, you know, it's kind of where you feel at peace. I feel that way with running a lot of times, but it's honestly, I feel it in a different sense because when I'm running, if I'm running extremely hard or extremely fast or uphill, really exerting a lot of energy, I find it a little less peaceful. Hmm. However, when I am on a long straightaway or I'm running a nine mile loop or just a, a run where I can kind of forget about what's going on around me and just get into a good rhythm. That's when I find myself really find that peace, that peaceful moment. Uh, So I can relate in that nature. And thank you for explaining. Thank you for sharing that glimpse into what you're up to these days. And we're going to come back to that wholeheartedly. We're going to tell the whole story. But before that, I think the most important part is let's talk about where it all began. Maybe tell the listeners a little bit about where you're from, what your life was like growing up, uh, if you went to school, what you did, and then we'll jump into kind of some of the more nuanced and fun things you're up to these days, like your startup and your day job and everything else. Yeah, sure. So I probably won't go all the way back to early childhood, but <laughs> yeah, ha- pretty happy childhood growing up. I've got two siblings and in, in terms of, I guess, where I started to notice the ADHD and autism, I think it was, it was probably when I was about 10 that I started to realize that I was a bit different from the other kids at that age. I think I was 
before that age, most of the social interaction was about just playing chase in the schoolyard. And it wasn't really much about actually talking to the other kids. That was relatively age appropriate. And then from 10 and above, I started to notice that people were less into those chasing games or the ball games, and they were sitting around talking to each other. And I found that very challenging, especially talking to girls. I was voted the school captain when I was 12 years old. And I had this funny moment where I and the girl school captain had to go and collect people or the, the classes for school photos. And I was so afraid of talking to her. I was 12 at the time that for the whole day, we had to collect literally 20 different classes. I didn't talk to her once. I'd just be looking at my watch and every 15 minutes, I would run off to the next classroom, not even making eye contact with her. And that, that was, I guess, where I was at at that stage that I just found it really challenging. I wasn't great at talking to boys either, but if it was things talking about video games, my special interests, then it was fine. But if it was other things, it was a bit challenging. I generally did very well at school. I, I got A pluses in all my primary school marks and did well in high school, but it was the, the social interaction side that was challenging for me. And even into high school, I was very into video games. I, I might be a bit out of touch with your listeners in terms of what games they play these days. I was very into an online role-playing game called RuneScape. I think it still exists. I played RuneScape Classic, if anyone has tried that. And I'd basically just, I'd get home from school and I'd play that nonstop, sometimes until very late in the evening. And it's funny because that actually then formed the basis of my career, both as an entrepreneur and a programmer. Because in RuneScape, it was a very grindy game where you had to do a lot of clicking. So if I wanted to mine coal so that I could make steel in order to make myself a weapon, or if I wanted to attack chickens so that I could get feathers or level up, it was just lots and lots of clicking. And I found a community of people who were making these cheat bots for RuneScape where initially it was very basic. It was looking for colors on the screen. And if it saw a certain color that only the chicken had, it would click on that. But then the makers of that game started to be able to detect if you're using a clicker. So it evolved into being able to reverse compile the game. And there was this amazing developer who did that and was able to de-obfuscate it and allow other people to then actually hack into the game. So you could write code that would make your player go and, and walk to a particular location, mine some coal, or go to a, a chicken and pick up feathers and attack it. We ended up making these really quite advanced programs that would automate our game playing for us. And I, I made a, a special bot that would, you could program what you wanted to do with it in terms of which characters or which creatures you wanted to attack and how long you would do it for. And I sold that for in-game currency. That was my first software product. And the, the process of learning that, people sometimes ask me, what's the best way to learn to code? And I think something like that is the best way to code where you're highly motivated. I would literally, I'd stay up until three or 4 a.m. working on that code because I really wanted my character to be better. And I enjoyed having other people. We had this, 
chat group that we would all be on and sharing our code and getting ideas about how to do certain things. That was the perfect environment. It meant that I very quickly developed proficiency in writing code and I had a taste of what it was like to build a software product and sold it for gold pieces. <laughs> and then after that in high school, I started making apps myself. I made an app to help me learn German. It was a bit similar to if anyone has used Anki, which is a flashcard app, it was a bit like that, that it would show me German words and then I'd have to guess what they were in English. And then I figured out how to make it read it out to me, which was pretty cool back in the day. I think relatively easy to do these days, but challenging back then in 2004, it would have been. And I did a history app with timelines. So I, I generally, I, I found that I enjoyed writing software and it was relatively easy with that, that early, the introduction that I had learning to code via RuneScape. I don't know how relevant it is because I'm not, I'm on the front end of a lot of software with the job that I do on a daily basis. I'm in more of like implementation of software as opposed to the actual development, if that makes sense. So what I'll say is when you were talking about the bot creation though, what it made me think of was, and I am, I'm not someone who spent a large, a large portion of my childhood playing video games. I actually um, am notoriously bad at video games. Uh, my friends who listen to this would probably get a kick out of, kick out of that one or a good laugh because um, mm -hmm. they know I'm, I'm fairly terrible. But I do remember playing, uh, trying to play the games that they were playing in that time. Um, I know now and even more so back in the day, League of Legends was a big one, but especially Call of Duty. And when they would play the first-person shooter games, I remember specifically they would complain about aim bots. And so when you said bots with the clicking, the first thing I thought of was, oh, they'd always complain about how they'd be killed by an aim bot. And it took me the longest time to figure out what exactly they were referring to because I was such a so-called noob at the game. But eventually figured it out. And uh, I was never one to actually code any sort of apps like that. But it just makes me have that much more respect for someone that has that ability to go in and code something like that for a video game. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, it does feel a bit unfair. I think some aspects <laughs> of it, feel, especially in a first person shooter, that's just a, a completely unfair performance advantage. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love the idea of all the different apps that you've been speaking about, how you had a history app, how you had a flashcard app, how you created, you know, whatever it was basically that your heart desired. So you would find a need in your personal life and you would go and you would create an app for it. And I think that's a very admirable trait to have. And like you said, the best motivation that one can find is within themselves and in something that they're already interested in. So if you want to learn to code, go in and already or go in and take something that you're already doing that could use an improvement and try and code something for that easier said than done. But I mentioned that because you also have um, a new app that you're working on, or I don't know if it's released yet, maybe provide some updates for us, but I know it's related to your, your journey with ADHD and trying to help other people along that journey. Can you share a little bit about that app? Yeah, sure. Focus Bear is an app to help block distractions and have morning routines. And I, I built it similarly to the other apps to solve problems that I was having myself, that I was finding it hard to stay focused at work, that I'd often go onto news websites, for example, that I'd be working on a task and it would feel a bit challenging. And then I'd think, oh, I'll just give myself a quick break. I'll look at the headlines 
and then 20 minutes goes by and then I don't have time to actually finish the task that I had started. So the idea with Focus Bear is across all devices that if I'm working on my computer, if I try and go to, to a news website, it'll block it for me. And then the same thing on my phone, that if I pull out my phone and try and open a news site or I try and go to TikTok, it'll block it for me. <laughs> and then the other aspect of it is that I find that habits are really important for me in terms of my mental health and my fitness and my productivity. So I, I like running, but for many years I had gotten out of the habit of it. And one thing that I realized as I was in the process of selling my last company, I wasn't doing the self-care practices that are really important for me in order to stay sane, basically. I find that meditation, deep breathing, journaling, and running are crucial for me to have a good day. And I just wasn't doing them because I very quickly, I, I had after high school, I'd continued making apps and I made one around an SMS integration for Zoho CRM. And that ended up being picked up by a larger SMS business that wanted an integration like that. So I had to deal with lawyers and accountants and trying to balance that with another job that I had and keeping the business running. And it was very stressful. That was the inspiration for Focus Bear that I was going through this time of immense work pressure. And it was a time where I really needed a clarity of mind and I needed to be able to concentrate, but I was finding that I wasn't sleeping well and I wasn't doing those self-care practices. So my natural inclination was to build an app to help. And it has really <laughs> helped me in terms of both blocking the distractions and also making sure that I do do my run and I do do my deep breathing and my journaling before I get into emails because they can be a real trap for me. And the app is out there on Mac, Windows, Android, and iOS. I need to download that because very similar to what you were just describing, I know that my best days happen when I wake up and get my run in the morning. And even less, I mean, I'm not a huge journaler, but even my own version of it is writing out a to-do list for the day. Mm -hmm. And the days that I am able to go about them with the least amount of stress are the days where I wake up early enough to enjoy my cup of coffee without having to immediately log on to the computer to start working, mm. where I get to go for my run, even if it's just 20, 30 minutes, and where I get to write out my agenda for the day. Like, hey, here's what I have going on today. Here's what I need to get accomplished. And that gives me a game plan for what all I need to do. And it helps me or prevents me from being overwhelmed throughout the day as I'm in meetings and as I'm in uh, whatever it may be calls or just working on different tasks as small nuances come up. I handle them with more poise and composure when I've been able to, I guess, release a lot of that stress in the morning on my run, sweat out all the stress that would have come with that, have my morning cup of coffee in a relaxed state. And then also go ahead and write out what I already know I have to do. It won't, it won't affect me as much when something else gets to pop up on the agenda because I will have already kind of planned it all out and planned for it. Mm. However, these past few weeks, I've noticed we've been in a very busy part uh, of a project in my day job. And I've just noticed that it's been wake up, sit down, make a cup of coffee in between the first three hours of the day because I've got three hours worth of meetings back to back to back. And so I look up and it's 10 a.m. I started meetings at seven and now it's like, okay, like now I can actually take a breath for the day and figure out what I need to do and 
uh, grab a cup of coffee or whatever it is, brush my hair because I probably haven't at that point yet. So just the small things. Uh, sorry to go off on a, a tangent here, but I appreciate what you did because for someone like myself, it is a huge help to do all of those things that you just mentioned. Yeah, definitely. And it, it can be really challenging with early morning meetings as well. This morning, I had a 5.30 a.m. meeting to start off with. So I, I still did do my run, but it was only a five-minute run because that's my, <laughs> my minimum effective dose. And I, I think that's important to talk about as well when we're discussing morning routines that even 20 to 30 minutes can feel challenging for people if they don't have that as a consistent part of their day. And what I did when I was first working with Focus Bear is I set up a morning routine that was five minutes of running, five minutes of journaling, and five minutes of meditation. That's all I felt that I had time for it that, at that moment. And over time, I have progressively increased it. Part of the reason why I only did a five-minute run today is because I've got a, a track workout that I'm doing with my athletics club in the evening. So I, it was more about I just wanted to wake myself up. Yeah. But I think it, it's crucial, the idea of that we don't get into the mindset of I don't have time to do the ideal morning routine, so I won't do anything. I think it's important to find a, a minimum dose. And for me, five minutes is better than nothing. It's not optimum, but normally at, at this stage, I'm do normally doing a 25 minute run. But when I have back to back meetings starting from 5.30 AM, it's pretty hard to fit that in. And it's still beneficial to have something that's small that still helps me to, to have that consistency every day. I love that. I do. And I honestly felt something very similar today because I hate to, again, continue talking about running, but it was just, it's part of what grounds me every day. And I usually like to run three miles or more. And today was one of those days where I was busy in the morning. I had like an hour break and I was like, Hey, in this hour break, I'm going to, I'm going to, before I eat lunch, I'm going to run on the treadmill at my apartment. I'm going to go over to the, the gym and I ran one mile and I ran one mile and I came home and I ate lunch and I showered and I was back online. You know, I got it all done in like 30 minutes just because I knew I didn't have a lot of time mm -hmm. and it still helped me have a better afternoon because I know I got it out of the way. But aside from that, you know, I think what you're doing by creating these apps that are meaningful to yourself and meaningful to people like you is such an inspiring thing to hear because I think people oftentimes get caught up in trying to do what is going to be the most fruitful for them in the long run in making the most money or achieving the highest level of success or the most fame or you know insert whatever it is that they want to do there. And I think it's a good sentiment to share with the listeners, especially a lot of them who are younger and trying to determine their path in life, that oftentimes you need to find what it is that you yourself, like look within yourself to find what really inspires you. And that can be what takes you the furthest a lot of times. I'm curious with someone like yourself who has accomplished so much in having worked for great companies, sold great companies that you created all these apps, taught yourself so many amazing skills. What is it that you wake up and, and strive for every day? I guess, what is the motivation in your life that really pushes you forward? The intrinsic motivation side of it, I think, is pretty key that it's hard to continue to motivate myself to work on something that I don't enjoy working on or that I don't feel is part of my calling. So if I've worked in corporates and I've found that possible for me to do, but I don't necessarily love doing it where if it, it's something where I feel that I really resonate with the mission of the organization, 
that's much easier to wake up each day. And for a long time, for me, that was in the environmental sustainability space. My university degree was in environmental science, and I, I worked as a software developer for solar and energy efficiency companies prior to having my side project turn into a larger business and having to then, after selling it, I'm now working in the SMS company as part of the, the terms of that. It's important for me to, to feel like my work has some kind of greater meaning that what I'm doing each day is going to be helping people and contributing towards a broader cause. I think it is still important. You were talking about the altruistic angle versus trying to make it as economically fruitful as possible. I think it's important to have both that we can't purely work on things that aren't going to be financially sustainable. I think there's a, a difference between say going for something which has maximal profits which might involve doing ethically questionable activities versus finding that sweet spot there's that concept of ikigai the japanese term for where you can find a, a an occupation that checks off both something that's enjoyable to you that people will pay for and that you can do well that's where the sweet spot is and it is possible generally to find that. And I, I think our broader economy is now gravitating towards a triple bottom line approach where we're not purely just considering economic returns. We are considering the impact on the broader society, on the environment and on future generations. I love that. I think, you know, we've really found out just from what you're speaking to what really inspires you. And I love the environmental sustainability aspect of it because I think so much of what is driving not only personal choices these days, but also business choices these days is whether or not they're achieving certain sustainable goals to move the, you know, the ticker a little bit further along, move the needle a little bit further along, I guess was the term I'm looking for there. And they've also started to find out and they as in large corporations that they're having to adapt to these large standards because they're becoming regulated. Uh, their employees are requiring that they want to work for a place that puts these environmental sustainability standards at the forefront of what they do. They don't want to work for a company that is just always utilizing the most and least efficient ways to accomplish their goals. I know there's actually an app out there now that is grounded in environmental sustainability because they're trying to offer up by way of entertainment, way to cut down on fuel for private planes. And so they track the private planes that are owned by the CEOs of large corporations, and it tracks how much fuel usage they're using or estimated fuel usage based on the type of plane they have, et cetera. So uh, I think it's funny when I get to check that. I see it on my Twitter feed, but I think there's an app for it as well. Um, it always makes me laugh, though. Yeah, maybe they'll start moving towards the the electric planes because there, there are some now that can do short haul flights. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. I guess I didn't realize there was electric planes. I, I guess I didn't realize you could fuel something that large off electricity. So, Yeah, they're, they're normally very small passenger planes. You can't fit as many people or as much freight in it. But over time, they're going to get better as battery energy density improves. We may be able to either use batteries or use hydrogen. There'll be ways that we can still fly to other countries without feeling like an environmental vandal. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's cool. I guess 
let me let me backtrack to you a little bit because I know you talk about this sustainability. You talk about just looking within yourself for that intrinsic motivation, and, and we've kind of gotten a good picture on what it is that drives you. But what is it that you're striving for? What is it? I guess what is the goal you're hoping to accomplish with? creating a new app or working for the company you're at now that you kind of signed on with once you sold your company. Is there a place you see yourself in 10 years that you're aiming for every single day? And if so, what is that place? Or are you more so day by day and live your life uh, the best you can as it comes? For me at the moment, the next five years are really devoted to improving neuro inclusion in the workplace. Because I've started to realize that some of the, the barriers to the talent that exists in the autistic population and the ADHD population are relatively easy to bring down. And that if we can include more people who, who think a bit differently, I think it's gonna help us to unlock some of the broader challenges that we need to solve as humanity. So I'm very passionate about looking at ways that companies can better employ people who have autism and ADHD. I'm trying to do that both in my day job. We're looking at creating a, an employee resource group and also via the Focus Bear app, which helps people to be able to, to combat some of the, the negative side effects of, of ADHD and autism and tap into more of the strengths because there are really a great deal. There's a lot of, of strengths that come from thinking a little bit differently in terms of the, the creativity that often comes with ADHD and the exceptional problem-solving skills that often come with autism. And the, the recognition as well that other types of neurodivergency, we're talking dyslexia, dyscalculia, that they're part of the, the broader population. And if companies don't employ people who are able to, to empathize with their customers, then it's very hard to make products that are gonna be useful. And often we see that when we make products that work well for people who have access needs, then it makes it better for everyone. A quick example of that, people who are visually impaired, they will use screen reader tools in order to be able to, to read what is on the screen and it will basically read it out in a robot voice. And I found that that was actually really useful for me on Sunday when I was proofreading my wife's master's thesis. I'd read it several times already. And I don't know if you're the same, but my eyes start to glaze over after I've read something <laughs> twice. I, I just stopped being able to read it in a deep manner. And I found it really helpful to use Microsoft Word's read aloud feature where you can get it to read out the text and it will use a robot voice. Sounds a bit artificial they're getting better over time. They're probably going to sound more authentic in a couple of years, but that didn't really matter. It was more about hearing it in a different modality allowed me to actually pick up some typos and find some areas where there were actual mis there were content inaccuracies and we were able to fix those up. Whereas I wouldn't have seen them if I had just tried to read through it again, I just would have glazed over and, and skimmed through it and probably missed those things. That is amazing. I think technology is opening up so many doors for everyone, to be honest with you, especially everybody deals with something and struggles with something. And technology is evolving in such a way that every little facet of something that you could struggle with is being impartial 
uh, to a certain extent being resolved by some piece of tech. And I think it's really interesting to hear from someone like yourself who is so deeply ingrained in the coding aspect of it, just the general technology aspect of it, being able to, you know, you hear about all these great functionalities and capabilities of these new systems, but being able to actually utilize them and put it into practice and figure out ways to make it work for your situation, because it might not be the same for everyone. I think that's where we really will start to see the most benefit when people start to use the tech for what it was envisioned for. And that's not the same thing for everyone. Mm. Everybody might use the same piece of technology in a vastly different way, but it still accomplishes the same goal of streamlining some sort of task or, or struggle that they were dealing with previously. I want to ask, you know, for all those listeners out there that might resonate with your story of autism and ADHD, is there anything that you've found, and I, you've kind of talked about it throughout this, but is there any, I guess, words of advice that you would give to someone that might be struggling to overcome or get to your point where you have gotten to be able to utilize your skill set and take the best advantage of what it is and really just become a major success. Do you have any advice for people that might be struggling with that or also maybe just wanting to take the next step in their journey towards success like you? The biggest thing for me has been actually getting a diagnosis and realizing that I'm not broken because for a long time, especially in high school, I really felt like there was something wrong with me that I wasn't able to socially interact in the way that other people could. And I felt very down about myself for that and a lot of anxiety and over time getting a diagnosis 10 years ago has helped me to better accept myself and to, to realize that there are situations which are going to be challenging for me. For example, if I go to a conference and there are tons of people around me and lots of background noise, that's very challenging for me. And I, in the past, I just thought that I just wasn't good at that sort of thing. And I, I felt bad about myself for not being good at it. But now I recognize that it's going to be inherently challenging. It doesn't mean that I can't go to those situations. I, I went to a conference last week and I, I found it challenging, but fulfilling. And it, it's, there are specific coping mechanisms that are, are available. It's not just this idea that if I have ADHD, that means that I can't concentrate. That's not true. The same thing with autism. It doesn't mean that I can't interact with people socially. It just means that there are, are going to be challenges that I can work towards and I don't necessarily need to strive towards being neurotypical. I can recognize that there are, there are strengths that I can really lean into and there are weaknesses that I will have to address partially, but I, I don't need to necessarily get them to a standard that other people have. And by knowing a bit more about myself and by finding a community on places like Reddit, where there are lots of subreddits, there's the ADHD programmer subreddit, which I really like, for example, being able to find very specific coping strategies that might be super weird for other people that work really well for me. Like an example for myself, is that I find doing micro workouts throughout the day is really beneficial for me. And that that will be weird for other people. I'll periodically drop down and do a set of push-ups every 20 minutes, for example. <laughs> Won't do it during our podcast, but normally if I'm in a, a long meeting, it's very hard for me to, to actually stay focused for that time if I'm just staring at a screen. So I'll, I'll turn my video off every 20 minutes or so and go for a walk or do something to get my heart rate up for a bit. And that helps me to be able to concentrate. 
And I learned that by reading books specifically about ADHD and, and learning that there's research backing that up and a lot of people find it helpful. That's something that seems a bit weird for the general population, but works really well for me personally. That's something I need to try doing little micro workouts. Is that what you called them? I like yeah. that. Yeah. Do micro workouts during the day. <laughs> well, Jeremy, it's been great. And, uh, I don't want to take more of your time, but I do want to ask, is there anything that you might've hoped I would have asked you or that you wanted to share while you've got the platform here and, and just kind of open the floor. If there's anything you'd like to share that maybe I didn't ask you and you would have hoped I would have. I think I'll just sum up some of the the key points that I thought came out of the discussion, which were number mm -hmm. one, morning routines are really beneficial for everyone that don't feel like you need to do a, a two hour long morning routine to start off with. I think starting off with something really small is the key thing. There's a book called Tiny Habits that I would highly recommend where he talks about how the most important thing is that you have consistency every day, that if you want to work towards becoming a runner, start with five minutes and gradually build it up over time. And the other key point is you know, finding out the way that you are able to maximize your productivity and don't feel like it needs to be the same as everyone else, that your brain is going to work a bit differently. The idea of neurodiversity is even if you don't have a label like ADHD or autism, there are probably going to be some particularities to the way that you work best. And I'd encourage you to lean into them and to negotiate with your employer so that you can set your environment and your workplace up for success. And you can feel like you're working towards something that you're passionate about and that is meaningful to you. Absolutely. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for sharing. Your story is truly incredible. And I'm glad that we were able to give the listeners a glimpse into your life. Love to hear, you know, maybe six months, a year from now, a year and a half from now, we'll, we'll hop back on a call and we'll see what you're up to and check in on what, what all has been going on in your life since then. But really do appreciate the time, Jeremy. Thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me. Let's go. Yeah. I'm like an addict, ooh, I gotta have it I ain't even playing, got a really bad habit If it moves, gotta grab it Fuse like a magnet, lose, won't have it Till I'm doomed in a...